Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. started on this Wednesday night we talked about uh, transforming our minds on the word of God at least for a few minutes and I want to delve into that a little deeper this morning Paul said to the church at Rome I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service He's not asking too much. What he's asking is reasonable. Amen. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in other words, Paul is telling us not to pattern ourselves after this uh, age. That's what the, wor the word world translates to is a is the word age so he doesn't want us to pattern ourselves after this age or to the times that we're living in or the habits of the world he says we're not to act like the world from which we just came out of when we were born again and then peter talks about this in 1 peter 1 13 and 16 he says so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control I know self-control is a bad word, but bear with me for a few minutes. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And so Paul says, rather than conform to the world, that we should be transformed. Yes. And another word that we could use for transform is transfigured. Uh, it means a supernatural change. If you remember when Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was changed supernaturally. Matthew 17, 2 says, As the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now that's a supernatural change. That is a transformation, a transfiguration, if you will. But let me show you what, what Paul wants us to be transformed into. I mean, he wouldn't tell us to be to not conform to something, but transform to something else unless he told us what it was. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, he says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, 
just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, that's what Jesus was transformed into, the glory of the Lord. That's what was shining like the, like the noonday sun, and that's what he was transfigured into, was this bright light that he was just reflecting the joy of the Lord because he was up on that mountain with uh, Peter, James, and John, and he was absorbing the glory of God as he was communing with God. And remember, Elijah came down, and uh, Peter wanted to build three tabernacles for Moses, Elijah, and, and Jesus. You know, in other words, they, he, he wanted to put God in a box. But we can't put God in a box. And so uh, he was transformed. And uh, then, remember Moses, when he received the Ten Commandments, he was up there on Mount Horeb 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. And he received the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, his face shone with the glory of God. And it was so bright that it frightened the children of Israel. And they said, Moses, please put a veil on your face. You're scaring us. And so Moses had a veil over his face so he wouldn't scare the children of Israel. It's a scary thing to be in the presence of God. But when you come down and you're reflecting his presence, you're reflecting his glory, the people are going to see it in you. Right. You may not look like the noonday sun, but they're going to tell that you have been with Jesus. They're going to yeah. tell that you have absorbed some of the glory of God and you're a reflection of it. And that's what we're supposed to be. There was two lights created in the beginning, the greater light, which was the sun, and the lesser light, which was the moon. Well, we're like the moon. He's the greater light, and we reflect his light. When you see a bright moon, that moon ain't shining on its own. It doesn't produce light. It's reflecting light from the sun. And that's what we're supposed to do, reflect light from the sun. Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. And you will glow. Hallelujah. Amen. But uh, we will never be transformed into his glorious image uh, without renewing our minds, without discipline, and without having our face in the word of God. Because that's where we feel his presence. That's where the presence of God is. All throughout this Bible is the presence of God. And when you're reading the Bible, you're reading God's words. Yes. To you. Yes. Amen? Amen. And we'll never be like him or reflect him the way we should without the help of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We're still talking about the mighty Holy Ghost. This is part three. And we're going to talk today about three baptisms that are necessary for you to be able to uh, reflect the glory of God in your life. So, uh, without renewing our minds, we'll never fully enjoy the benefits of the word because we will constantly be conformed to the world's way of thinking and it will stop us from transforming into the way that God wants us to think. It will stop us from transforming into that glorious image that we're to be reflecting. Worldly thinking is the number one reason why people won't receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And the reason we've been spending so much time on baptism in the Holy Ghost or with the Holy Ghost is because we don't take all three of them seriously. There's three baptisms. You're going to know them before this day is over with, and you're going to realize the importance of each one. And, and the reason why we can't skip the one of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we think that's optional, but it's not optional. It is a commandment. 
But a lot of people don't want to get the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they think it's kinky or they're afraid of speaking in other tongues. But speaking in other tongues is also more important than we realize because it is part of your armor. Right. Read Ephesians 6. Praying in the Spirit is part of your armor. Yes. And so we need it. So uh, some of you would like nothing better than to be all that you can be for Jesus. You know, we get born again and we have the zeal of God and we're so excited and we're so happy about our new life. And then we just have one failure after another. Some kind of moral failure. Some kind of uh, disobedience to God's word. And we beat ourselves up over and we say, man, I, I, I want to do better, but I just can't. Every time I try to do better, I can't. And we try and fail and we try and fail. And I'm telling you, the reason that you keep trying and failing is because you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes. You need that power. Jesus said, when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, you will be endued with power from on high. And this is the power that gets you to the place where you can resist those things you couldn't resist before. Gets you to the place where you can be more disciplined in your life and in your walk. And it can get you to the place where you begin to transform into the glory of God. Amen. And that glory expresses itself through the gifts of the Spirit. It expresses itself through uh, the fact that you can walk in love towards somebody. You don't get your feelings hurt so easily. And uh, you don't take offense at every little thing that, that happens to you. And you can smile at somebody and they know that you genuinely love them. Amen. 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 That's an anointing that comes only with the Holy Ghost. And worldly thinking is the number one thing that will keep you from that. And pride is the next thing. Pride will keep you from being baptized and enjoying all the promises of God. So we're going to renew our mind today on some things. And one of the things our minds need to be renewed on is the doctrine of baptisms. Plural. Baptisms are actually one of the foundational doctrines that we must be taught. They're one of the first doctrines. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. It talks about the foundational principles or doctrines of Christ. In other words, these have to be laid first before you can build on anything in the Word of God. You have to have a foundation to build on. And anytime you don't have a good foundation, you're going to have a faulty building or a faulty structure. You can build a big wall, but if it's on a faulty foundation, the wall is going to lean and lean and eventually fall over. Why? Because of the foundation. And so we have to make sure that our foundations are correct, built right, and what we're building on is the right foundation. Amen? So Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. We're constantly uh, uh, laying the foundation of repentance and works towards God. And it's the reason we are is because we didn't put the right foundation down. We're not building on the right foundation. And then he says, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. 
Now we, you know, we had laying on of hands Wednesday night, and it, it was wonderful. I know people got touched and people got healed and people got changed, but did you know it's, it seems so wonderful to us and such a miracle? But uh, did you know that is one of the basic foundations of the doctrines of Christ is the laying on of hands? Amen. That is right there at the beginning, right on the bottom, right on the foundation of laying on of hands. And so we have to be uh, sure that we're building on the right foundation before we build anymore. And so we're going to study the baptisms this morning. And when you first start talking about baptisms, in other words, more than one, the first thing people think about is Ephesians chapter 4, where it says there is one baptism. It says in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There it is, Pastor. There is no other baptisms. And, and you can't say there's more because it tells you right here plainly that there's one baptism. It's talking about one particular baptism that is essential to your salvation. But that don't mean it's the only baptism. Amen. And we're going we're gonna to see that today and I'm going to prove it to you. And it says, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So this is talking about the one baptism that is essential to your salvation. And it's the first baptism we're going to talk about. And it is the baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Because there are entire denominations and thousands of believers, well-intended, uh, good people, that believe there's only one experience with the Holy Ghost and that's at the new birth, that's with salvation. They believe that's all the Holy Ghost they need. And uh, the Baptists are one of them and I'm not talking about our Baptist friends. God bless the Baptists. They're getting more people saved than you can take a shake a stick at. Amen. But they believe in the one baptism. When you get born again, at least most of their Doctrines believe this. When you get born again, that's all the Holy Ghost you get. That's all the Holy Ghost you need. But not according to the Bible. Uh, before we go any further, the first thing we have to do is understand the word baptize. It's translated from a Greek word that means to wash, to dip, to be fully immersed by someone into something, to dip and die. D-Y-E. And, uh, you know, when you dip and dye something, say you have a, a shirt, you don't like the color of it, so you dip it in some dye. And when it comes out of that dye, it's different. It's changed. Amen. It doesn't look the same. Amen. It's a new color. Right. Amen? Right. And so that's what it means to dip and dye. Once you get dipped and dyed, that's it. You're the new thing now, the new person. And it means there must be a baptizer and a medium into which a person is baptized into. And it is always consensual, and it always refers to complete immersion into whatever it is you're being baptized into. It is not just a sprinkling or a pouring on of water. And I was baptized as a young infant, didn't know which thumb to suck on, or couldn't eat, couldn't do anything on my own, and yet I was baptized. Uh, and according to my religion, it was baptized into the body of Christ. But I later learned that I can't be baptized without my consent and the knowledge of who's baptizing me and what I'm being baptized into. So if you're one of those persons like I was, 
You need to be baptized again now that you can make the choice right. and you can consent to it Amen. and you have an understanding of it. Amen. And I've taught entire messages on water baptism and we'll talk about that again in a few minutes. But uh, it is a doc one of the doctrines of baptisms is water baptism. So the first baptism that Paul referred to in Ephesians as the one baptism and the only one that is essential to salvation and that is when the Holy Ghost baptizes you into Jesus or the body of Christ. He's the baptizer and uh, the medium that you're being baptized into is the body of Christ. So when you confess Jesus is Lord and you're born again, the Holy Ghost baptizes you into the body of Christ. You become a child of God. You become a member of the body of Christ. He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can baptize you into the body of Christ. And that is the one baptism that is talking about in Ephesians that you must have. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. That is the explanation of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And, and it's talking about the one baptism. And that is into the body of Christ. When you're born again, you're baptized, immersed, submerged into the body of Christ, into Jesus. That's when you've been dipped and died. And you come out changed. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can, form, can perform this baptism. Then there is the baptism in water. And this is done by believers. As a matter of fact, some denominations calls it the believer's baptism. Or you can call it disciples. It's done by disciples. It's a symbol of our identification with Christ and the new birth representing our identification with him. And like when you're baptized, you are totally immersed or dipped into the water. And then the, the old man, the old nature, stays in the water, but you come up in newness of life. Yes. You've been dipped and changed. Yes. And this is done by believers, by disciples. If you're a believer, you can baptize your own children. you got a swimming pool, you can baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right there in your swimming pool. Right. I know there's a lot of denominations that believe it is a sacrament, that it is an ordinance. And that it has to be performed by an ordained minister. But that's not what Jesus said. Right. And in Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples or believers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't have to be a five-fold minister to do it. It can be any believer or any disciple can baptize somebody in water. And baptized, being baptized in water is also a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option for a believer because it helps you in your obedience to the word of God or your obedience in Christ. And uh, if you don't, if you think that it's okay for you to be disobedient and skip this baptism, say, well, I don't need that baptism to get to heaven, which is true. You don't need to be baptized in water 
or be baptized in the Holy Ghost to get to heaven, but you do need to be baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. Amen. But it's still a commandment because there's a purpose for it. If you're disobedient in this commandment to skip water baptism, then you will have, you will find a pattern in your life where you're disobedient and start skipping other things in the Word of God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So by you being baptized in water, that's the first act of obedience since you're born again. And it should happen closely to the time that you're born again. And uh, that's the examples we have in the book of Acts. Somebody gets saved, they get baptized in water, and they get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Yes. They don't have to be, uh, the Holy Ghost baptism in the water don't have to be in the same order. Uh, but that first one, the baptism into the body of Christ, must always be the first one. You can't get baptized in water until you're baptized into the body of Christ, and you can't certainly can't get baptized in the Holy Ghost. So number one, the Holy Ghost baptizes you into the body of Christ. Number two, disciples or other believers baptize you into water. That is a work of man. And there's denominations that believe that you must be baptized in water to be saved, but that's not true. Because it doesn't take a work of man to save you. It takes a work of God. And he's the only one that can save you. Amen? And number three, Jesus baptizes you into the Holy Ghost and fire. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. That's salvation. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. In other words, I can't carry his lunch bucket. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. I know we think it's the Holy Ghost, and we even say, well, I'm baptized with the Holy Ghost. But you're really not. It's okay to say that, but you're really not baptized with the Holy Ghost. The word is translated, the word with is translated from a Greek word that also means in. So you're baptized with or you're baptized into the Holy Ghost. They both mean the same thing. But Jesus is the one that does the baptizing. When you ask to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, Jesus himself baptizes you. Amen. Amen. What a privilege. What an honor. The Lord himself comes down here and baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. He's the one that's authorized to do it. So number one, again, we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost where the spirit is the baptizer and the body of Christ is the medium into which we're baptized. Number two, we have the baptism of the believer or the disciples baptism where the believer is the baptizer and the medium into which you're baptized is water. Number three, and we're going to spend a few minutes on this. We have the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is the baptizer, and the medium into which we are baptized is into the Holy Ghost, or with the Holy Ghost. And the purpose of this baptism is for the power and anointing for ministry, and to give you the ability to live the Christian life. It's not easy living the Christian life. Anybody know that? It takes some discipline. And it takes some power, and the Holy Ghost is the one that gives you the power. Now, here's something interesting about the significance and the importance of the baptism of Jesus. This baptism is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
all four, which is significant in itself because not too many things are recorded in all four. We have what's called the synoptic gospels or the similar gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where they basically talk about the same things, the same incidences, and that's why they're called synoptic or similar because you'll find stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are all the same. They all talk about the same thing, a certain healing or a certain miracle or something like that. But what's the reason they're called similar is because they all start with the, with the birth of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then they jump to the beheading of John, which is the beginning of the third year of Jesus's ministry. And none of them talk about the, the first year and the second year of Jesus ministry, but John does. That's why he can't be considered synoptic. His gospel is different than the other three, or his writing. The gospel is always the same. The writings are different. So uh, John wrote the God, his gospel in, in 70 AD after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote there. So I'm guessing that he probably read those gospels and he may, might have said, hey, they didn't say anything about the first and second year of Jesus' ministry. So I'm going to talk about that. Everybody knows about the third year because those three guys wrote about it. And so he uh, begins, he starts way before Jesus' birth. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So he starts in the beginning. Not at the birth of Jesus on the earth. You know, we don't know when the beginning was, but that's where John starts, in the beginning. So he not only tells us about the birth of Jesus, but he tells us about the origin of Jesus. And that was different than the other three Gospels. And so that's why he's not similar or synoptic. And then there's other things in John's Gospel that we don't see in the other three. Uh, like John recorded the wedding at Cana. The others didn't. Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. The others didn't. The woman at the well. The raising of Lazarus. And then Jesus' departing words in John chapter 14 through 17. And we looked at these a couple weeks ago. And the other gospel writers didn't include those talks. And so these events were not even recorded by the other three. And actually there's only a few things that all four gospels re recorded. All four writers recorded. For example, all four writers recorded the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is the gospel itself in a nutshell. That's what the gospel is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then they all four recorded the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the baptism of Jesus in the Holy Ghost. All four of them recorded that. So there's got to be some significance or importance for them to do that. Amen. And so we should pay close attention to these things that all four gospel writers mention. And then in uh, John 1.33, I want to show you something that's significant. Even though all four of them wrote about the baptism of Jesus into the Holy Ghost and fire, John is the only one that added something that the others didn't add, which makes it significant and even more important. John 1.33 says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, now God sent him to baptize with water, and he told John, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, 
The same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So John talks about being baptized by Jesus in the Holy Ghost. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account are very similar or synoptic. That's why they're called the synoptic gospels. They basically, basically said the same thing. Jesus was baptized in the water. When he came up out of the water, the spirit, like a dove, descended upon him. And so they all said the same thing, like in, in that respect. But John said this, and this is what makes him significant and sets him apart from the other three. He said, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as the one that will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. None of the other writers said that the Spirit would remain on Jesus, except John. So if you didn't read any Gospels, you should read John. That's why we recommend you read John first. But this is probably the most significant statement about the baptism of Jesus. And John is the only one that seen the importance of it and the only one that recorded it. And that is the Holy Ghost descending and remaining on Jesus. And the reason it's so significant is the fact that all throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit would descend on somebody, and he would anoint them. He, is, he descended on Saul, anointed him king, but when Saul didn't wait for the sacrifice and the blessing from Samuel and went into war without it, then he lost the Spirit. The Spirit departed him. And from that day forward, he was, he was tormented with a... Uh, evil spirit and, and so they got David to play the harp to soothe that spirit in Saul and he would have some moments of clarity and then you have David of course he was anointed the spirit descended on him he slayed giants and won wars and everything but it didn't remain on him and all throughout the Old Testament you see it on Samson it descends on him he takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand Philistines then it departs again it descends when there's an anointing present. It descended on Elijah at Mount Carmel. He slayed 800 prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. And then he outruns the king's chariots to Jezreel. But then the spirit departed him. And so it never remained on anybody until John said that he saw it descend and remain on Jesus. That should be significant. That should give you something to shout about. Amen. Because here we have a revelation that Jesus was the first one baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yes. And, you know, people say, well, uh, why did Jesus get baptized? Uh, and he got baptized to fulfill the law. But why did Jesus get baptized into the body of Christ? Because he is the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, why did Jesus have to be born again? I'm answering some serious questions here. Why didn't Jesus have to be born again? Because he was born right the first time. He's the only one that was born right. Everybody else was born with sin. You didn't have a choice in it. Adam made that choice for you when he sinned in the garden. And we all come from his loins. And he passed that sin down to every human being that was ever born again or born after that. And Jesus bypassed that process because he was born of a virgin that never had the seed of man to pass that sin along and that she was uh, pregnated with the word of God yes. and so she didn't have that tainted blood 
He was born right. Amen. And you don't have to be born again when you did it right the first time. Right. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So now watch this. There's three baptisms. Salvation, the baptism of salvation, the baptism of water, and the baptism in the spirit. And uh, this ain't too much for you, is it? No, sir. All right, you, you still with me? Yeah. You ain't gone home yet? No. All right, I'll keep going. Then. <laughs> but all of these baptisms are essential and necessary. That's why God made them a commandment. He said, go ye into all the world and do. He didn't make it a suggestion. It's a, it's a commandment. But only one is essential to salvation. That's the first baptism we talked about, the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. So you can go to heaven without being baptized in water. You can go to heaven without being baptized in the Holy Ghost. But you'll never go to heaven without the first baptism where you confess Jesus is Lord. And then you're baptized into the body of Christ. That's what gets you to heaven. So we see all three of these baptisms all throughout the book of Acts, and I don't have time to go through them, but uh, we know the first baptism was in the book of Acts, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one uh, place in one accord, and the Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing mighty wind, and cloven tongues, as it were, cloven tongues of fire, arrested upon each of them. And they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they spake in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's the first baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is the day that the church was born as well. Amen. The church that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against, it was born then. Amen. And the reason I know that the baptism with the Holy Ghost, all three of these baptisms are prevalent today, is because we're still living in the book of Acts. Yes. They're not done writing the book of Acts. Amen. And uh, there's all kinds of examples in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, where people are baptized into the body, baptized in water, and then baptized by Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And God likes to do things in threes. The number three is very significant in the Bible. It appears uh, 457 times, and every time it appears, it has a definition of completeness and sometimes perfection. Seven is also a number that means complete and perfect. And God does things in sevens, but he does more things in three, which is the lesser of seven, of course, but still represents completeness. Yes. And I'm going to show you a couple examples. In 1 John 5, 7 and 8, it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Now this is... Uh, before Jesus. Jesus wasn't in heaven at this time. It was the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Now the Word eventually became flesh and was named Jesus, but it was still the Word. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. So we have the number three, and it is in completion. It makes one trinity, and it makes one witness. And so, like I said, God likes to do three things in three. He's a trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three, but yet only one God. Man is a trinity, spirit, soul, and body. Three parts, but only one man. 
a complete man. He has a soul that consists of a trinity, the mind, the will, and the emotion. So God likes to do things in threes. That makes a complete soul. And in our passage of scripture, blood is symbolic of salvation because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus shed his blood to wash our sins away. So blood is synonymous with salvation uh, because we're saved by the blood. And so look at verse 8 again. It says, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood or salvation. And these three agree as one. So what do they bear witness of? Spirit baptism, water baptism, and the baptism of salvation. They bear witness to the fact that there's a God in heaven who loves us and wants us uh, and wants to change our lives. And he not only wants to, but he empowers us to do so. And he does it through the three witnesses. He does it through the three baptisms. And this was God's intention from the beginning. We can see the baptisms in the, in the Old Testament. We can see types and shadows of these three baptisms in the Old Testament. So when we get saved, we become a new person. And when we get water baptized, the old person gets cut off. And when we're baptized in the Spirit, uh, or the Holy Spirit and fire, we get, to, we get the power necessary to walk in that new life. So God yeah. made every provision for us. Took all our excuses away. Yeah. And as long as we're talking about three witnesses, let's look at a couple examples of these uh, baptisms in the Old Testament. Again, these are in type and in shadow. And as we know, everything in the Old Testament was done as examples for us. It was done for our admonition. In other words, God is going to show us things and solutions to things uh, through the Old Testament saints that we're going to experience in the New Testament. Moses was a type of Jesus as a deliverer. Now, don't go out of here saying, Pastor said Moses was Jesus. He was a type of Jesus because they were both deliverer, deliverers. He delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Jesus delivered us from the bondage of sin, and Egypt represents sin. So keep that in mind as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, sistren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, which was a type of Jesus' salvation, in the cloud, a type of spirit baptism, and in the sea, a type of water baptism. So God is pointing to these three baptisms way back then in the book of Exodus. Amen. And he gives us as an, an example the children of Israel going through the wilderness. He says, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. He made that very plain. So God was pointing us to the three baptisms in the New Testament through types and shadows of things to come. Now let me show you another type of these three baptisms and then I'll close. Hopefully a few minutes early because we have some cake in the back to celebrate Ethan's graduation. 
And since half the church is missing this morning because they're on vacation or whatever, that means bigger pieces of cake. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle of Moses. Fascinating teaching. And that was the only place where you could meet with God. And our New Testament tabernacle, of course, is Jesus Christ, the only place that you can meet with God. You want to meet God? You want to be in the presence of God? You have to meet him in Jesus. Amen. No other way to meet him. There's only one way in, one way out. And God dictates the rules. We don't enter our way. We don't do things our way. If you remember in the Old Testament tabernacle uh, in the wilderness, if you entered the most holy place, which was representative of the presence of God, and you did it, uh, unlawfully or you didn't do it the way God said it must be done it didn't fare well for you you were, you were struck dead amen? amen and so the tabernacle was fenced in with a fence that went all the way around it was a certain size it was built with certain materials but all the numbers all the materials it was built from silver and bronze and uh, gold and stuff like that all pointed to Jesus Christ in one aspect of his ministry or another. It was, The whole tabernacle was a picture of Jesus Christ and his ministry. And uh, there was what was called the inner court that was on, uh, on the inside of the fence and on, on this fence it went all the way around the tabernacle. The tent or the tabernacle itself was right in the uh, fenced area and there was only one gate and that gate faced the east which way is jesus going to return east. from the east one gate and it faced the east and uh then there was the tent itself that had two compartments the holy place and the most holy place where the actual presence of god actually dwelt was in the most holy place and uh them added together you have how many three that completes the tabernacle. That completes the presence of God. Three witnesses. So on your journey to the presence of God, you would proceed from the outside of the tabernacle. That's outside of the fence. That was called the court of the Gentiles or the court of the unsaved. But if you were called and you wanted to get saved or born again and become a minister or a priest for Christ, because we're, we're uh, priests for, for God, then you would have to enter into the one gate facing the east and you would come into the inner court and the first thing you would come face to face with was a bronze altar of sacrifice. And there you would present a sacrifice and then you would take the blood of that sacrifice and it would later be sprinkled in the most holy place to make you acceptable to God. And so you had to make the sacrifice, accept the sacrifice, accept the rules of that bra brazen altar before you could proceed any further in your journey to the presence of God. And so you, you did that. Now you proceed and now there's a bronze or a brass laver and brass stands for judgment. That's where your sins would be judged is at the brazen altar. And uh, then you come to a brazen laver that's full of water and you have to wash yourself. Even though you accepted the sacrifice, you're born again, now you have to wash yourself before you can proceed further because you got the 
the dust of the world on your body. You have to wash yourself before you can proceed any further. And that represents water baptism. And then you go into the holy place, which is the first compartment in the tabernacle tent itself. And the first thing that has to be done is there's a flask of oil and the priest had to be anointed by another priest before he could go into the tabernacle proper itself. And then he's faced, uh, so that is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And then he comes to a golden lampstand that is burning from olive oil. It's a lamp that burns olive oil. And that represents you walking in the light of God's word. It's a light to your path and a lamp to your feet. You're walking in light of God's word and you're being guided by the Holy Spirit. And then there's another table, it's called the table of showbread. And at this table, there's bread on it, and the priests would gather around that table, and they would fellowship and have communion. That represented the church. That's what we do. We get born again, we get water baptized, we get baptized by the Spirit of God or into the Holy Ghost by Jesus, and then we walk in the light of the Word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and then we join a church and we fellowship and have communion with other believers. Then there's another piece of furniture, the one that is right before you can enter into the most holy place where the presence of God is. And that's called the table of incense. And it's an altar of incense and it's burning day and night. And you add incense to it and you burn incense and that represents prayer and intercession. You don't enter the most holy place without much prayer and much intercession. That's God's order of the journey to the presence of God. And then in that puff of smoke that's coming up from the incense you're burning, in that puff of prayer that's coming up to God, you depart the curtain or the veil that separates you from the most holy place. And as you do, it sucks in that smoke, that incense, which is a sweet smelling savor into God's nostrils. And then you enter into the presence of God. Amen. Now, if you did that properly, you made it. If you skip a step, they'll be dragging you out with a rope. Right. Amen. Amen. And then the presence of God abides over the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant are three articles. Three. Isn't that a coincidence? These threes keep popping up. One is the broken tablets of the Ten Commandments, which represents uh, Israel's disobedience and the broken laws. And then the other thing is Aaron's bud that rotted, which uh, or Aaron's rod that budded, <laughs> which represents new life. But before the new life, it represented rebellion because they rejected uh, God's chosen leader, which was Aaron. And as a test as to who God's choice was, they all brought their walking sticks or rods and left them there. And the next morning, Aaron's rod, which was just a stick, a dead stick that he used as a cane, right. it budded and produced fruit. Right. And so that was God's choice. But they're in there, that's in there to remind Israel of their rebellion, their broken laws, disobedience, broken laws, rebellion. And then there was a court jar, or a jar, it was an ofer, I don't know, a court jar, it was a jar of manna, which represented the bread that came from heaven, and also Israel's rejection 
of what God sent from heaven because they wanted me. Remember right. that? So God gave them uh, quail until it was stuck in their teeth and coming out of their ears, right. and they were choking on it. So that was a reminder of all the things that Israel did in the presence of God. And God didn't like it. So he devised a mercy seat. And in the Hebrew, it's called a propitiation, a seat of propitiation, uh, which means that there's uh, something there that stands between God and the broken commandments, the, the rebellion and the disobedience. And that mercy seat, that propitiation is where they would sprinkle the blood from the sacrifice that you made at the beginning of the, your journey to the presence of God. And when God looked down, and then they had uh, two angels and their wings outstretched over the mercy seat. They're the, the guardians of holiness, and they represented the guardians of holiness that were watching over the mercy seat. And when God looked down, if there was no blood on that seat, then he seen disobedience, rebellion, and uh, uh, Israel's uh, uh, broken laws, the broken laws that Israel uh, did and he destroys the person that comes in there but if that blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat God looks down he sees the blood and he looks no further Amen. that's why we have to have the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on the tabernacle and the mercy seat of our heart in order for us to approach God Amen. without it you can't approach God without it you can't get into God's presence it has to be through the blood of Jesus because if it's not through the blood of Jesus, God looks down and sees your sins and he'll wipe you out. He will annihilate you. You wouldn't have a chance to live. Amen. Amen. No flesh glories in the presence of God. Amen. No flesh can stand in the presence of his glory. Amen. Amen. And so we see an example of that in Zechariah, I think the 14th chapter, where it's talking about Jesus' return and the Bible says he destroyed the the enemies at the battle of Armageddon with the brightness of his coming. And that is him coming in all his glory. And the Bible says the flesh melted off of their skeletons and just killed them all. Why? They couldn't stand in the presence of God's glory. Amen. We will be able to because we will have glorified bodies. We'll Amen. be able to look at, look at God face to face. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a good God. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, uh, some people would like to say, well, all right, I accepted Jesus. I accepted his sacrifice. I'm saved by the blood. Hallelujah. Yeah. And some will even say, well, okay, I can do that water baptism thing. That ain't too bad. And they get baptized in water. That's good. They're on their journey to the presence of God. But then they say, I don't want none of that Holy Ghost stuff. I don't want to be baptized in Jesus and that Holy Ghost stuff. They're talking in tongues and they're jumping and running and getting. I don't want no part of that. So they think they're going to go around that baptism and go into the presence of God. What's going to happen? God isn't slaying anybody today because of grace. We're in the age of grace. But your life is not going to prosper too well. Your life is not going to be so, so successful as a Christian without that third baptism. Right. The baptism in Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And now would be a good time for me to get people filled with the Holy Ghost. 
but I'm not. I'm still salting your water. I'm still salting your oats, because some of you might not be ready just yet. But when we get done with this series, the mighty Holy Ghost, you're going to be panting like a deer panteth for the water. You're going to be panting for the Holy Ghost. You're going to be panting to be filled with the Holy Ghost because you're going to realize the value of being baptized in the Holy Ghost and the power that's available to you. You want your life changed? You have to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You can't do it on your own. You can't live this holy life that Paul told us that we must live. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. God said that through Paul. We can't live that life without the Holy Ghost. You might think you can, but you're going to do, like I said before, you're going to try and fail, try and fail, try again and fail again until you get endued with the power that God provides, and that's the Holy Ghost. Now, I know a lot of people think, oh, this is too spooky for me, and I don't feel the Holy Ghost helping me. And there's times when I feel him, and there's times when I don't feel him. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I know for a fact uh, it's like the wind. You don't see where it's coming or going, uh, but you know it's been there. And there have been times in my life where I knew I did things that I was otherwise unable to do previously in all my life. One of them, for example, and it seems simple, is when I quit smoking. That was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, because I knew it wasn't healthy for me, and I knew I shouldn't smoke, and I kept trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing, and then I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and it wasn't right that night, but, you know, a short time later, we were in a praise and worship service, or in the service, we were praising and worshiping God. And, and all of a sudden I felt in my heart, in my spirit, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt like God says, now's the time to quit. And so I made a commitment to quit smoking that night and never touched another cigarette since. Amen. That was almost 30 years ago. Amen. I did something I was never able to do before and I didn't feel anything miraculous. I didn't feel no shaking, no fire, no wind blowing, nothing. I didn't feel anything, but somehow I had that ability to do something I couldn't do before. And I can give you example after example of things like that. And never really had a big earth-shaking experience, a big earth-shaking revelation. It just happened. And I knew it wasn't me, so it had to be him. And that's the kind of power I'm talking about. Amen? And actually the Bible calls it, it comes from a Greek word called dunamis, which means dynamite, where we get our word dynamite. So it can be an explosive power. I've seen people run the walls when the Holy Ghost get on them, you know, like it was an explosion, like Nancy ran this morning, that was just an explosion of running, you know, she just felt the urge to run. And when you do that, things happen. Things happen in the spirit. Things, you know, you're set free from something or somebody else that you've been praying for is set free from, from something. Uh, you know, there's there's victory in the shout. There's victory in the dance. There's victory in a run. There's victory in spinning around, jumping up and down. If God impresses you to do that, like Pastor S said this morning, just do it. You don't know what he's got planned. It's an act of faith and obedience when you do that. And that's what God is waiting for. Uh, to cause a miracle in our lives sometimes. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. 
You are such a good, good God. Hallelujah. Everything you do, you do for us and for our, our betterment. And we thank you, Father, for the, not only the promises you gave us, but also for the ability to fulfill them in our lives. If you tell us to be holy because you're holy, we know that we can be holy, but we'll need the help of the Holy Ghost. So we thank you, Lord. We just ask you to help us in these areas. We want to exercise our power in the Holy Ghost. And when the time is right, I know that we will be endued with that power from on high. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I almost pray for you to get the Holy Ghost. I ain't going to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. You can do it yourself. You know, you go home tonight after dinner. Uh, do it before dinner because you'll fall asleep after dinner. And just kneel in your bedroom. Kneel in your living room. Ask God to empower you. Now, I know most of us in here are filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But sometimes it goes dormant on it because we don't use it. Right. And uh, he didn't depart you. He's still there. He's just waiting for you to do He's a helper. He ain't a doer of everything. Right. He helps you do everything. Yeah. And so uh, ask him to empower you. Ask him to re-empower you. Right. Repent and tell him you've, you've been falling short. You know the benefits of being filled with the Holy Ghost and you haven't been exercising them because it takes faith. You have to exercise these things in faith. And, and uh, you know, there's one baptism but many fillings. And you see that in the book of Acts where they were uh, filled and refilled and filled again, but only baptized once. Some of us need a filling, a refilling, and another refilling. And then we need to go out there and exercise those things yeah. and begin to do things that we couldn't do before. Amen. And you may not be able to do them at first, but if you keep uh, doing them and increasing every day, you know, like I can't walk 10 feet, then walk 9 feet. Right. And the next day walk 10. Amen. And the next day walk 11. And before you know it, you'll be doing a mile. It didn't happen all at once, didn't happen overnight, but right. step by step, here a little, there a little, you will conquer things in your life that you didn't think you'd ever conquer. Amen. You know, quit smoking one cigarette at a time. And, uh, you know, I told this story before, but it's a true story. Uh, this one guy tried to quit smoking, and he it was at Keith Moore's church, and he come up there and asked for prayer to quit smoking. And Keith Moore told him, he says, you don't have to quit smoking. He said, don't throw your cigarettes away because you're just opening the door to failure, you know. He said, just keep smoking. But every time you light one up, say, what am I doing? I don't need this. Right. And so that guy, every time he lit a cigarette up, he says, what am I doing? I don't need this. But he kept smoking. And then he kept doing that every time. I don't know how long he kept smoking, but he kept doing that. Every time he lit a cigarette up, he says, what am I doing? I don't need this. And then one day he says, what am I doing? I don't need this. And that was the last cigarette he ever smoked. So sometimes it comes a little at a time. Uh, God won't put you under pressure to do anything. He'll bring you to the right place in the right time for you to be able to do it. Amen. 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 God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. Don't forget we're having cake in the back. Big pieces of cake. <laughs> so stop back there and see Gwen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. 
God bless you, and remember Jesus is Lord. 